0: Welcome. If you are brand new with us, uh, my name is Dave. I'm the pastor of K First and I just celebrate that you've joined us for morning worship. I welcome everybody online. Thank you for being with us and being a part of what's happening here at K First. Um, We're starting a brand new series today. So if you have your Bible, go to the book of Judges. Uh, If you go from the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Book number seven. And uh, I'm just so excited about what God has in store. I had a young man that uh, I was in our, our youth group for years. He's an evangelist now. He travels the nation, just uh, preaching on the Holy Spirit. And he just said, man, the Lord kind of stirred him on the airplane while he was flying. He's like, I just want to let you know, I think God has got something in store for your church. He says, what is your series on? Because God just said that, God's, that he's going to bring a shift in the, your congregation during this series. And uh, I told him Samson, and then I got nothing back. Um, and then he said something snarky back a little bit later, but um, I believe God has something in store for us. And so I'm going to pray over the series, and I'm actually going to pray over another church this morning. There is a, a gentleman I was mentoring. Um, he got in contact with, with me, heard that I do marriage series. He goes, I heard you've done one. I said, I've done 11 um, we do it about once a year, and he said, I, I feel like the Lord has stirred me to, to preach maybe a series on it. He says, I'm scared half to death to preach on uh, on that subject. Is it okay? I'm like, oh, it's more than okay. I love marriage series, Dave. He talks about sex like it's nobody's business. And he goes... Oh, boy, this is going to be a wake-up call for our congregation. So we've been talking for quite a while, and he texted me this morning. He says, I've never been so nervous before a series. And so we're going to speak over him this morning there in Magnolia Assembly of God down there in Texas. Um, So he's a Dallas Cowboys fan, so he needs deliverance anyway. So uh, we're going to pray over the series, and we're going to pray over Pastor Robert this morning. Lord Jesus, this is the day that you have made, and we rejoice. And we are very glad in it. And Lord, before we pray for ourselves, Lord, I just speak over Magnolia Assembly this morning. I pray for a conviction upon Pastor Robert. I pray that the Spirit of God would just drip from his life, that the Word would go out like seed upon good soil. I pray that you would bring healing, restoration, and hope in people's lives. Lord, that you would bring that congregation together and, Lord, help their marriages to be stronger for the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, we speak over this series. Believe that you can do more than we could ever ask or imagine, not according to the abilities of this guy here, but according to the power of God that is at work in us. So God, touch our hearts and our minds. Prepare us, Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. Has anybody ever ruined a plot twist for you in a movie I have made the mistake of having dinner with individuals and admitting, oh, we're going to rent a movie. We're going to go see this movie. And somebody's like, oh, it's so crazy. He was dead the whole time. Really? Are you going to see that movie? It's so crazy when he found out at the end when he was always blind. What? You'll never expect it. The guy he's talking to, the whole movie, he doesn't exist. He's both characters. I'm like, did you not hear that I'm about to watch a movie and I want to take it in? And when you hear a plot twist, and before you get to the movie, you really don't want to see the movie after that. My, uh, my, my, my uh, sister's first husband, uh, the worst guy to ever watch movies with, because he would say, okay, okay, right here, remember this part. This is about to happen. Watch this. I'm like, okay. All right, that nurse is going to save his life. He's the killer. I'm like, so I'm just going to say, I really, if you ask me to go to movies, most likely I won't just go with anybody because I feel like I can't trust anybody any longer. Um, but if you think about plot twists, what are some of the greatest plot twists that you, that you can think of? And I asked my wife yesterday, and she hit some of the best ones. Some of the best ones. And I won't go spoiler alert on, on most people, but I think it's safe to say that not many of you are going to go out and rent the original Planet of the Apes. The new trilogy one of my favorite gospel trilogies of all time. Love the new planet of the apes. Not the Mark Wahlberg one. That one didn't happen. Um, but in the original where they go out into space and then they crash land on a planet and they, this planet is ruled by apes and all of a sudden you get to the end and they see the Statue of Liberty and they realize we didn't land on a planet. We actually landed back on Earth. Plot twist. Or the greatest plot twist of all time my favorite gospel movie, Empire Strikes Back. When Darth Vader looks at Luke and he says, what? Somebody even gave me the voice over here. I got James Earl Jones over here. This is amazing. That's the plot twist. I mean, I remember my aunt snuck me off to that movie. I was just a little guy. My parents didn't let us go to the movies because that's where the, the, you get demonically possessed. Um... But my aunt snuck me off to see Empire Strikes Back, and I was just a little guy. But I remember, I just remember just hearing people in the audience. (gasps) It's just, oh, I love a good plot twist. Why are we talking about plot twists? Because I think this is the perfect term phrase to talk about the story of Samson. Now when we think about Samson, if you grew up in Sunday school, we know very little about Samson by what we got in Sunday school. I may ruin a Sunday school story throughout this entire series because when we think about Samson, we think about this burly guy like I remember when I was a kid and Sunday school teachers were like, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like Our version, not the one that young people have seen nowadays. We're talking about our version of Arnold Schwarzenegger. We had Stallone. You've got this guy that is just ripped. And and a lion jumps up, and he rips the lion apart. And the army attacks him. He picks up a jawbone of a donkey, and he beats the snot out of all of them. And he pushes down these pillars and takes out his enemies. And we're like, oh, if we could just be like Samson. No. (laughs) Because everything about this story is full of plot twists. Because the story starts off with a couple that has not, not been able to have a child. And all of a sudden, an angel appears. It plot twists. They're able to conceive. And they're, they're, they're thinking, okay, we're going to have a child. But the angel says, this is going to be no ordinary child. The Spirit of God is going to be upon them. And God's going to use him to begin to set his people free. Plot twist. And it freaks them out so much that the, the father, Manoah, says... Uh, we don't know how to raise the kids, especially a kid that's called by God. You need to tell us how to do this. And then you get this boy that's born, and there's an unusual presence of God on his life. It gives him unusual strength. And plot twist: he doesn't make the best decisions. Mom and dad have a have a designed mate for him. Plot twist: he chooses a different mate over and over and over. Every time he's going into one direction, you're thinking he's going to make a better decision. Plot twist. It's like the rug keeps getting pulled out and you keep shaking your head. And there are times that I have read through this story and I've read this story so many times over the past couple months that I've shaked my head. I'm like, God, why do you have so much patience with Samson? And I feel like I kept hearing the spirit of God say, well, I have that much patience with you too. Plot twist. This beautiful, strange book, where's my Bible at? This book of Judges In my opinion, it was one of the more confusing books out of the entirety of the Bible. And if you've never read Judges, read it and you will have a ton of questions. Why God? What were they thinking? What's going on here? Now, it's not as confusing as Leviticus or Revelation, but it's just one of those books that causes a lot of questions. It's a tough book to read, even though there's a lot of narrative, a lot of good story. So this Takes place about a thousand years before Christ appeared on this earth, and Judges takes place after the Exodus. After the children of Israel, they leave slavery, they go into the Promised Land in the Book of Joshua, and the Book of Joshua ends. And what we have now in the Book of Judges is the generation that saw the great acts of God. They are now dying off, and we've got a new generation that's that's kind of risen up that don't really know God. They haven't seen the acts of God like their parents or their grandparents. And then they begin to worship other gods. This is what Judges picks up the story of Israel. In fact, the best way to describe it is Judges chapter 2, say in 13, I'll read this. It says in chapter 2, verse 11, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. Pastor Dave, does God get angry? Yes! Well, that's mean. No, it's not, it's love. You know what's mean? is a God who never gets angry and lets us do what we want. God gets angry with us and deals with us in order to provoke us toward living a blessed life. Let's never, ever downplay the anger of God. And at the same time, let's never paint the anger of God in a way which shouldn't be painted. That's a different message. Verse 13. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and, and the Asherah. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hands of the surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, as, and as the Lord had sworn to them, they were in terrible distress. Welcome to the book of Judges. This is not the happiest book in the world. But understand this, that there are times that God does allow distress in our life, but he does it because he loves us. Like a parent that disciplines their child... I, This is not something we say all the time, but I think we ought to have as part of the repertoire of our prayers is, Lord Jesus, thank you for the discipline of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for disciplining our lives and helping us to see the right and wrong. But what we have with Israel is Israel has thrown themselves into a cycle of chaos. I want to show you this, this cycle here. We have Israel, they disobey and they worship other gods. Then they get invaded because it's not that God's like, okay, you go attack. God takes his hand of protection off of them. People were looking to attack Israel already. God takes his hand off and they they get attacked. They freak out. I think that's the biblical term. They flip out. What has happened to us? God, have you forgotten about us? I love it. They forget about God, but the second God doesn't do what they want, all of a sudden God's the one to blame. Man, sounds like a lot of my counseling right there. They freak out. God saves them through a judge. A judge was like a military kind of political figure, someone that was chosen by God to rise up and to help lead them toward the right direction. And so, what we have throughout the book of Judges is numbers of judges, individuals that God would raise up, that God would help them in the midst of their freaking out, they're being attacked. They're being marauded. They're being stolen from. God raises up a judge to help bring about victory. And the victory is there not to pacify them, but to wake them up and say, look at me and turn towards me. But instead of turning towards God, they disobey and they start worshiping other gods. And they go in this chaos cycle. Go through Judges. This is the cycle you will see over and over and over. And this is what brings us to Judges 13. It says verse 1 the people of Israel look at that word the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord so the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years there was a certain man of Zora of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful to drink no wine or strong drink. Eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. We've got this. Uh, amazing little beginning of the story, and I had planned on being so much further in the book of Samson after week one, and I'm already behind because we're not going to leave the conception of Samson. This champion was to be born, and he was immediately to be set apart to to be what we would call in the church world consecrated Separate, special unto the Lord. Now that word Nazarite comes from the Hebrew word Nazar, which means to be separated or to be consecrated. And so when it comes to a Nazarite vow, if you need to do a read-up on it, it's Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. But a Nazarite vow was something that uh, could be taken by an individual, but it had certain parameters. So let me give you the four features of a Nazarite vow. Number one, it was voluntary by any man or woman. Voluntary. I grew up thinking that it wasn't voluntary, but it's voluntary. You could choose to be a Nazarite and to take a vow to be consecrated to the Lord. Number two, it had a specific time frame. An individual might say, for the next two months, for the next three months, for the next year, for the next week, uh, for for this specific duration, I am volunteering for this specific time to have my life be dedicated to the Lord. Number three, it had special requirements and restrictions, and we're going to talk about that in a second. You couldn't just say, I'm going to be a Nazarite and do nothing. There were specific requirements that were there, and that takes us to number four. At its conclusion, a sacrifice was offered. It had a beginning, and it had an end. Somebody was saying, I'm going to consecrate myself, and it ended with a time of worship saying, God, I thank you for the time that I had, that time that's been dedicated, and I want my life to forever be changed because of these moments. But now when we talk about Nazarites, many times we actually look at the restrictions that they've given themselves. Look at these requirements. I want to show you these requirements. Three things. Number one, they were con- to consume nothing connected to the vine. Stay away from the vine. And specifically the vine hinted toward what? Wine. There's to be no wine, you couldn't couldn't have it at celebrations, you couldn't have it at weddings, you couldn't have it at a meal. Um, A Nazarite just had to stay away from anything connected to the vine, specifically wine. Why? Because they wanted a focused mind. I'm not going to let my mind get unfocused by anything coming in my body and altering reality whatsoever. Second thing was, touch nothing dead. Don't touch anything dead. Now, for, for Hebrews growing up, they would have recognized this coming from the book of Leviticus because in Leviticus, if you touched a dead body or a dead thing, you were now unclean for up to seven days and you had to go through some ceremonial cleansing. But after seven days, you could be clean again and now you can go worship. The reason why a Nazarite was to touch nothing dead, it's so that their, that their connection to God was completely unbroken. Anybody could touch a dead body, and in in seven days, I kind of have this broken connection to God. Seven days, get myself clean and ready to worship again. But for a Nazarite, they they wouldn't go to a funeral. They wouldn't go. If they saw something dead, they would flee the other way. Because in their brains, for this season and this moment, I want my connection to God to be completely connected. I don't want anything to break that. And that leads me to number three, don't cut your hair. I've already broken that this week. Don't cut your hair. What did it have to do with anything? This was the outward sign. It was an outward sign. In other words, when it comes to your Nazarite vow, you're inviting God to do something deep within you. But guess what? Whatever God does within you was never supposed to say inside of you. That there ought to be something that pours from our life, that grows from our life, that people look at us and say, that person is different. That attitude is different. Their response is different. Their life is different. There ought to be something growing out of our life. Galatians would call that the fruit of the Spirit. It's the work of God. Ladies and gentlemen, whatever Jesus does in your life, never keep it to yourself. Never keep it to yourself. And so we've got this really cool thing that Nazarites in the Old Testament times would have been, could have been called to if they chose to do it for a specific time. We have the requirements and there's a time when it ended. But we've got something very specific about Samson. Is the angel says to his mother, says, listen, he is going to be, no choice, he will be a Nazarite from birth. From the moment he is born, he is to consume nothing from the vine. Stay away from the vine, stay away from vineyards. He is to not touch anything dead. He's going to be a judge in Israel. He's going to help begin to set them free. So therefore, I don't want him to be disconnected from me. And thirdly, he's going to grow some dreads. He's going to grow some long hair. And we find out later that he's got braids and things, and we'll talk about that later. But don't cut your hair because I want there to be a symbol on his life that his life is dedicated to God. God's word and, and spirit in your life was never meant to be private. Well, my relationship with God is private. Can I tell you this? There's no such thing as a private relationship with Jesus. It's meant to be done in community. I know, and, that's, and we get words mixed up. Because I believe, I believe in a personal relationship with Jesus, but it's impossible to have it as a private relationship because when you serve Jesus, you're interconnected to the people around you. That's why it's important to be in church. That's why it's important to be a part of a community because yes, I have a personal relationship but it never stays private because my relationship grows not just because I'm in the Word, not just because I'm I'm in prayer. It's because I'm connected to every single one of you. So when I serve with you, when I'm I'm connecting with you, when I'm counseling with you or if you're counseling with me, as we become, we become iron sharpening iron. It's no longer private. It's no longer just personal. It's communal. Our salvation is worked out here and also worked out here. We need the body of Christ. So we get this Nazarite vow, and you're like, well, Pastor, this is, this is OT. This is just Old Testament stuff. But that's why we look at the New Testament. New Testament gets really intense. Revel- uh, R- Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Look at that. Romans 12, verse 1. This, this classic. Popular passage, Paul says this I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here it is Do not be, what's the word, conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what the good and per- acceptable and perfect will of God. Present your bodies, present your life, present your hearts to the Lord, and don't be conformed to what the flow of the culture is. Be, be salmon. Go upstream. Go the opposite direction. What the world says is right, we look into what God says is right. And so here, I love, what I love is, we get the Nazarite vow essentially in Romans chapter 12. It's come out and be separate. You're not a chameleon. You just don't blend in to whatever atmosphere that you're in. I can do that at parties really well. I just hide in the back and I just, I just I stand in one spot. Some of you introverts, you know what I'm talking about. We're not called just to simply blend in and be a chameleon everywhere we go. Our lives were meant to stand out. Your attitude was meant to stand out. The words you use are meant to stand out. And we've got to stop fragmenting our life saying, well, this is my work persona. This is my home persona. This is my public persona. This is this persona. Man, we need, if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we need to be the same Christ followers wherever we're placed at and wherever we go. He has called us to follow him and to be exactly what it says to be holy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Paul says this to Timothy, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our own works, but because of his own purposes and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. First Peter 1.5, but he, he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all of your conduct. I love the word holy. In the Hebrew, the word is godesh. It means to be dedicated to. The root idea of the word is to be special, unique, or to be different from the norm. God has called us to be holy. The point of the Nazarite vow was for an individual to look at their life and to recognize you don't belong to the world, you belong to the Lord. So stop acting like you belong to everybody else, you belong to Jesus. The Nazarite vow was about recognizing that you are set apart, so it's time to start acting like you're set apart. And that was that dedicated time. And so Samson was called from birth. You're supposed to be set apart and to be holy. Now, I want you to understand the word holy because some of us misunderstand it. Because the word, again, holy means dedicated to, special, unique, or different from the norm. Some of us think that the opposite of holy is evil. It's not. The opposite of holy is not evil. The opposite is ordinary, common to go with the crowd. Well, oh, pastor, I'm not an evil person. Listen, God has not called you to be common. His spirit is on you to make you uncommon. His Spirit has come upon you to make you special. In the Old Testament, you need, to read, you need to read over and over throughout the book of Leviticus the words, holy unto the Lord. Because what it's talking about is, take this piece of furniture, this table. It's ordinary, but when you anoint it, all of a sudden it becomes holy unto the Lord. It, it, instead of being an ordinary table you would use in a home, now it's going to be used for worship. And take that over there. Anoint that, holy unto the Lord. And it's no longer common. It's now used for the work of God. Know this that God's spirit has not been placed upon you to make you ordinary or common. You are special in the eyes of God. You are peculiar. You've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. A what? Holy people is what Peter would say. He's called you to be holy. So often we wish we just settle for common. I'm tired of common Christianity. I'm tired about about ordinary Christianity. I'm tired of Americanized Christianity. I want a holy Christianity. I want God to call us back to a holiness where we recognize that we're not here just to take up space and to take up some oxygen while we're here, no matter how long that we're on this earth. We're called to make a difference. We're called to leave a kingdom footprint. We're called to make, to, to make a change in people's life. We're called to have signs and wonders follow our lives. But signs and wonders don't follow common, they follow holy. They follow holy. I want, I want everything in the book of Acts, but the problem is is we want all the signs and wonders in the book of Acts, but we don't want to live like the people in the book of Acts. We're called to be holy because we've been promised to him. The, one of the, the greatest metaphor that you will find in the scripture about God's relationship to us, the number one metaphor you will find is marriage. Number one. From the beginning to the end, you will find that God called Israel was his bride. In the New Testament, all of a sudden everything breaks out. The people of God have become the bride or sometimes called the body of Christ. And we get this amazing metaphor throughout the entirety of Scripture. And in fact, the Ten Commandments, if you really study the ancient Hebrew of the Ten Commandments, you will recognize that the Ten Commandments were actually written with wedding vernacular. Did you know that? The Ten Commandments were written with wedding vernacular. That's why the very first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, you'll have no other, you'll have no other spouse but me. That's what God was speaking to us. And so we get to this place where this metaphor hits us, and, and we begin to live our lives that says, you know what? If we are gods, then we're not going to search after anything else. I married Ann 24 years ago, May twenty third, 1998. Yes, I got the date right. Don't worry about that. Got the date right. But when we walked away from that altar after an hour and a half wedding ceremony, the, literally the longest ceremony ever, Goodness gracious, our pastor preached for 50 minutes. All you that I do weddings for you, you're welcome. I could do two weddings in that time. But when we walked away from that, we walked away, it was more than just rings on our finger. There was a covenant upon our hearts. That meant that when we walk away, we live in such a way that we say no to things and no to people that compromise what we have. I say no to other women because my heart belongs to her. When, When it comes to being holy people, holiness means that we say no to things and yes to life with God. When we walk in holiness, we say no, sometimes because it's sin, and other times not because something is sinful, because it's not congruent with, God, with what God has called you and I to be a part of. Man, there are times that God will call you out of sin. How many in the room do you think we should stop sinning? Anybody in the room? A quarter of you think we should stop sinning. Phenomenal. I'm to change my message. You ought to stop sinning. You ought to stop sleeping with people that's not your spouse. you got to stop lying, stop gossiping. Oh, there's one in the church we should talk about a little while. Um, Stop cheering for the eagles this afternoon. There's all sorts of things. Stop doing. Stop doing. But I love what Hebrews chapter 12 says. Hebrews says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off the sin and what? The things that so easily entangle us. Because when we're holy, when God has set you apart, it's doing more than just staying free from sin. Listen, if holiness was all about staying free from sin, then we can do it by ourselves. God's called us to holiness, which means that we stay away from the sin that wants to disturb us and to separate us from God. And other times, God, we have to begin to listen to the Holy Spirit because God would begin to help us to set up boundaries with people's lives to begin to say you shouldn't be as close as you think you ought to be with that person. Maybe you ought to stop doing that habit. I shared this before. I remember my hermeneutics professor in Bible college, God challenged him for a year to stay away from playing tennis. Nothing sinful about tennis whatsoever unless you beat me. Nothing sinful about tennis. But it was such a priority in his life that God challenged him, would you set that aside and in the time that you take to play tennis, would you set that aside and give that time to me? Sounds like almost like a Nazarite vow. But sometimes we get caught up With so much, because I hear this from Christians all the time. But I have the right to do it. Let me just help you to understand something. That just because you may have the right doesn't make it right. Just because it's your American right doesn't mean it's a kingdom right. And we get to the place where we're so busy exercising our rights that we haven't even asked God. God, if we are holy and set apart, do you want this a part of my life? In uh, high school. My first ever uh, run in high school on, on the track team was, was the two-mile run. First ever. And it's April, and when we got there, the wind is just blistering, and it began to snow. And so we all got lined up, and my coach says, what are you wearing? We had our warm-ups on. Coach, it's, it's snowing. He's like, you can, you, can run, you can run in that if you want, but you'll never be at your best, and you'll never maximize if you just wear what you think you want. So of us, are trying to. we want God to maximize things in our lives, but we refuse to live the way that God wants us to live. And he's called us to be separate. He's called us to be holy. And we've never simply asked God, what do you want in my life and in my marriage? And that's where we get to this place. It's one of the most well-known scriptures in all of scripture. It's out of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, where God says, be holy as I am holy. Look at that. This is so important. Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. If you have that scripture out, I need you to underline that, that two-letter word, B-E. Because I need you to understand this. God has not called you to become holy. He's called you to be holy. Just tell me what to do, pastor. Just tell me how to live, and that way I can be holy. Listen, it's not about us trying to become holy, because we can't become holy. That's a work of Jesus in our life. But when we receive Christ and Christ makes us holy, now here's where this comes into play where this is where Moses speaks to the people. And this is what Peter is, re- is, is reiterating Listen, I've called you to something. You're holy because I'm with you. Now it's time to be, it's time to act, it's time to live it out. Old Testament scholar Christopher Wright says this. All throughout the chapter runs the refrain. It's talking about Leviticus 19. It talks about the refrain, I am the Lord, as if to say, your quality of life must reflect my character. This is what I require of you because this is what reflects me. This is what I myself would do. What is he saying? I condense it down to this. When we choose to live holy, we are being remade into the image of God. We are living holy, and not in order to let people look at our life that we're bedazzled and we're shining for our own glory. But when we live out holy, it's never to draw attention to ourselves, it's to draw attention to the Lord. Because there's nothing more godlike and more human. To actually live in the way that God has made you. There's nothing more human than to reflect the one that created you in the garden, that created you in the womb. There's nothing more human. Now some people say, man, living like a human, this is a travesty. Listen, what we see in this world is what's been manipulated by sin. But when we get in God's presence, when we're in worship and we're worshiping together and we're enjoying his presence, that feeling and that, 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 that sensation that we get, that's what human really is supposed to feel like connected to God, walking with God, operating in God. And in the culture of finding yourself, we need to start learning how to lose ourselves. We have this culture that says, you just gotta find yourself. Pastor, I'll come back to church. I'm just finding myself right now. But the problem is, is we are going to and fro, trying to find ourselves elsewhere, rather than going back to the beginning, getting in the presence of God, and learning how to find ourselves in Him. Because there we just lose ourselves and just say, here I am. All my baggage, that's that's repentance. It's losing yourself. It's, Lord, I had one direction I was going, and I'm choosing right now just to lose myself, lose my sin, lose my issues, and turn back to you. See, something I want you to understand about holiness is this. Holiness is not about God asking us to be good. He's asking us to be his. feel like that was better than you guys let out holiness we turned it into being good I'm holy because I didn't do this I'm holy because I didn't drink I'm holy because I didn't play with dice this is the stuff I used to hear growing up I'm holy because I didn't go to the dance I'm holy because I didn't do this I'm holy because I didn't say out loud what was in my heart but God already heard your heart (laughs) I'm holy because I, I'm holy because I, listen. Holy is not the invitation to act right. Holy is the invitation to say, God, I'm yours. I'm yours. And how I live now, I live in a way way that says, God, I am yours. So how do I live at work? God, I'm yours. How do I treat my spouse? God, I'm yours. How am I supposed to parent? God, I'm yours. I'm yours it's just a couple steps here. how, how do we get holy <laughs> it's only a work of Jesus it's only a work of Jesus you can't get holy on your own we used to sing a song as kids oh you can't get to heaven on roller skates Oh, you can't get to heaven on roller skates. Oh, you can't get to heaven on roller skates because you'll roll right past those pearly gates. Oh, kids church. You can't get to heaven in a Kleenex box because God don't like those dirty snots. Oh, we had all sorts of... We used to sing these songs and then our teachers would talk to us about, you know, it's as silly as that all is, it's because you can't get to heaven in what you think or what you would like or what you have. It's only by Jesus. It's only by Jesus. Are you a sinner? Welcome to the party. Where without the grace of God, we're all on the road to hell. Except for the grace that Jesus comes in and meets us. And as much as you don't feel holy, he can come in and he can make you holy. And there are times God has made me holy. and moments, I don't feel that, but that's where I'm so thankful that God's work and God's grace has never depended upon my feelings. He makes us holy. And from him making us holy, now we can be holy. How how can we be holy? Let me take it right back to Samson and then I'll shut up. I want to give you these three things to work on. Three challenges I'm going to give you out of the birth of Samson, out of his Nazarite vow, these are the three things. This week, how do we practice holiness? How can we be holy if we have accepted Christ in our life? How do we be holy? First of all, have a focused mind. Don't get distracted by what the enemy wants you to do. Don't get distracted by what people want you to be. Don't have to live up to anybody's anybody's standard. Stop worrying about everybody's standard. Live in God's standard. Stop trying to be good. Just be His. Well, people don't see good in my life. Then live in His eyes, live in His way, and let God bless that. Secondly, live in an unbroken connection. Don't d- get disconnected. Starting tomorrow, and we've got the books available for $5. We're losing, I think, two bucks a book is how cheap we've made them. Five bucks a book. Would you, for the next 21 days, join us in prayer? We are going to have an unbroken connection to God for the next 21 days as a congregation. We're seeking the face of God. You want to join us on your lunch hour, Monday through Friday at, the prayer, at our, our, our prayer room? Please do that. You want to just pray from work. Stay connected to God and watch God do more than you've ever asked or imagined. And it leads me to the last one. Don't keep it private. Pastor, does that mean I don't have to cut my hair for 21 days? I'll let you decide whatever you want to do with that. But let me tell you this. We know the story of Samson, where he gets his head shaved and loses his strength. But I'm here to say this from the very beginning. His hair was never the source of his strength. The hair was never the source of his strength. It was dedicated to God. Because the scripture says that when he he got his head shaved, that he thought, I'll go do what I've done before. I'm getting into message number five. But he didn't realize that God wasn't with him. We need an outward sign. Stop keeping things private. Stop keeping it personal. Begin to live it out. Begin to ask the Spirit of God. God, come into my life. Make me holy. And how do I begin to... Walk this out. Live this out. Operate this in a way so that when people look at our lives, they see the work of God. I have to wrap up. I went over today. So my challenge to you this morning is number one, are you holy? And what I mean by that is if you ask Jesus Christ into your life, Have you ever made the commitment to follow Jesus? I'm not asking you to join this church. That's not my worry whatsoever. Am I biased about this church? You better believe it. If you gave your heart to Christ, I think you should come here. But if you're not, we get people that come from uh, uh, other cities and they want a church closer. I, I will help you find a church. The most important thing to me is not your attendance with me. It is your connection to Jesus Christ.